0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny & Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, Nenny & Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. That's why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 31, we sit down with David Weiss, who is a partner with Buy Water Partners. Really enjoyed today's discussion on David's background and his time running the energy services group of PEPCO. You'll also want to stick around until the end here, David's non-negotiables and what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. We really do value that feedback. Now we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with David. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with David Weiss, who is a partner at Bywater Water Partners. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to to make this work. I know you got uh, you got a lot of time commitments on your hands. You're a consultant with major companies. You got a lot going on. So I'm glad you squeezed in some time for uh, for the podcast here.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. You know, I think the pace is a little bit slower these days, okay, than than uh, in the past. A lot less traveling. Back yeah. to no traveling.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, we were talking uh, right before this. So you're out in the the Shenandoah Valley area. Is that right?
1: yeah actually, I'm just on the Piedmont side of, of the okay. set of mountains. you can look me up you can if you look up old red Virginia you'll find that's one of the most popular hikes in virginia and I'm right at the foot of that mountain
0: oh which oh, is in oh, the, cool.
1: is, which is in the Shenandoah national park
0: yeah that's it's, uh that's you know, a nice really change really of nice pace here. yeah nice change of pace from that, that washington d c northern virginia uh pace or lifestyle that yeah, I'm sure you spent some time down there right
1: Yeah. I mean, my office is still in the suburbs of DC. I just don't go there very much anymore, but I I do get back there on occasion and, you know, it's really pretty commutable into DC. It's It's a two hour drive, not even hour 45.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So David, I know you've been in the industry for a long time and we got connected or introduced at NASCO at some point. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to know who you are, but for, uh, our audience out there who doesn't recognize your name, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got started in the industry?
1: Sure, sure. So I've been in the industry, well, just about 30 years. Um, I, uh, I started my career as a, as a lighting designer. Um, I did some theatrical lighting, some discos, but I did a lot of work in architectural lighting and worked with some uh, pretty... Um, I was working at a couple of consulting engineering firms, in their in their lighting design department, worked with some uh, really well-known um, architectural companies like I.M.Pay, Skidmore Owings and Merrill, and Glastrum Siegel, and um, we were de- designing the inside and outside of um, skyscraper in New York, both you know office lighting inside and lighting the outside of buildings, and, and that was pretty cool. But uh, in the early '90s, uh, there was a pretty big recession that hit, and, There's very little construction work going on. So uh, uh, one of the small contracts we had was with the New York Power Authority just helping out a company that no longer exists called DMC to to help them with understanding lighting retrofits. When the recession hit, I I started looking for a new position, and there were three companies that were contractors for uh, the New York Power Authority HELP program, which is High Efficiency Lighting Program. And I got a job as project manager at Zenergy. And Zenergy was one of the uh, sort of founding companies that started the energy efficiency industry. In fact, they really were one of the people who invent one of the companies that invented uh, the energy audit. Mm. And so I took over. And in four and a half years, back in 1990 dollars, we did about fifty five million dollars worth of lighting retrofits in city, state and county facilities throughout New York. And, uh, you know, and and it and that led on to uh, going to Pepco. But uh, I do want to say that the first the first um, energy efficiency project I ever visited was Sing Sing Prison. Um, And uh, that was quite an experience beyond just uh, just being in energy efficiency lighting. In fact, during that time, we did a bunch of New York State prisons pretty interesting stuff. But, so you are
0: doing uh, the audits then? You were you were walking through? That was probably quite the experience. Yeah, I
1: was actually, what I was doing back then was I ended up running a group of, uh, I don't know how many people with maybe 15 people of lighting auditors, engineers, in fact, um, and then, you know, construction managers, just it was a mini ESCO is really what it was. We weren't yeah. doing pay for performance, but um, we were... Doing lighting retrofits and being paid by the New York Power Authority, who was financing it for their customers, um, so it was really the beginnings of you know the industry. The industry started a little bit before that, but it really was when the industry started taking off because that was when T8s and electronic ballasts came into effect and, and compact fluorescents. And you know, in fact, there was such a shortage of ballasts back then that we actually opened up a warehouse and started hoarding them. And I'd spent half my day trading ballasts, you know two lamp ballasts for four lamp ballasts, with some company in California doing the work, so that we could all get our work done because they just weren't being manufactured very quickly at that point. It was really the Wild West, actually, in a lot of ways, but um you know, after five years as at, at, uh, energy being the project manager of this uh, of this lighting retrofit program, energy was beginning was was going to be sold and um It looked like my position was going to go away. Um, So I ended up, uh, my boss actually connected me into uh, Pepco. That was just opening up an ESCO. In fact, I was the first professional hired from outside the utility to help them start up their ESCO. And my title there was project manager because that was my title in my old job. But there were no projects to manage. So one day I was walking by... um, the government printing office, the U.S. government printing office in Washington, D.C., a really old, decrepit building. And I looked in the window and I saw really big, fat fluorescent lights. I thought, you know, Pepco right now is not, their business plan doesn't include selling to the federal government. And that's not a really winning strategy in Washington, D.C. So I walked into my boss's office and I said, let me take over and, and start selling To the federal government and that was really beginning of what at that point was called area-wide contracts um now it's called uesc's and we developed those things as we went along and uh, we did a lot of work really fast for the federal government because there were no rules and regulations in place and the other thing that was interesting all those large buildings around the mall they all installed their their Air conditioning, which was like 3,000 tons per building, of air conditioning between 1955 and 1965, because that's when Congress allowed them to do it. And guess what? They all need a new air conditioning, and they had no money to do it. And we started getting contracts pretty quickly, doing these huge air conditioning systems, replacing, you know, tons, tons, 3,000 ton chiller plants, right and left. And that's how we got
0: started. Sounds like a perfect recipe for an energy performance contract.
1: That's what it was. We were, and, <laughs> and 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 once again, you know, the bureaucracy around doing UESCs and the bureaucracy around doing um, ESPCs, which were just starting up, wasn't there. So you mm-hmm. know, everybody was just making up the rules as we went along. It was a fun time. It was really a really interesting time, and we did a lot of work we did a lot of work pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. So walk us through, you know, that was, that was kind of how you initially got started at Pepco and obviously you you kind of rose the ranks. You had a really long career there, I think 17, 18 years, eventually, you know, running the entire group as a president, COO, I guess, walk us through, you know, what led to, you know, how did you progress within the company? And then maybe walk us through like your, your last role there at, at Pepco and what you were ultimately responsible for. Around
1: 1999, well, actually, the, the partnership started in '97. We partnered up with a company called Viron, which today has turned into NG, to do an unsolicited proposal for an energy savings performance contract for five army bases in the Washington region. Um, and we really, literally, invested several million dollars in developing this. Pretty large at that point, performance contract, and it took really three years to to develop and and close. But we did get the whole contract. It was big. Um, It was it was announced in the Rose Garden of the White House by President Clinton as the largest performance contract ever awarded, practically one of the first performance contracts ever awarded, and it was seventy million dollars worth of construction. And operations and maintenance for 18 years on all the equipment we put in. Um, and that really catapulted me to pretty much running the company when the the, the uh, executive from Pepco retired. I, I, I took over running the ESCO. It was, um, you know, we turned that into, a, a, we turned that little, that contract for the maintenance into a maintenance company doing of maintenance work for other performance contracts and other contracts. We built out, we took our federal government ESCO and we, we, we concentrated on becoming, uh, doing mush market uh, contracts. And we had some very large contracts with school districts, um, had very large contracts. And, and we, we pretty much ended up being a um, kind of East Coast ESCO. Um, we talked about ourselves being nationwide because we did a spattering of other work, but most of our work was really in the mid-Atlantic states. You know, so I grew the company. I, when I took over the company, it was about a $20 million of revenue per year, and when I left the last year, we were up at about $175 million of revenue. We made a few acquisitions over that time, but about maybe 60% of that growth was, was organic. Um, we ended up buying out Viron of that contract when, you know, they were being bought and sold a number of times. And we also ended up, uh, acquiring a, uh, thermal energy system in Atlantic city. And, uh, I ended up running that too. Um, that was part of the ESCO. And that was a, you know, that was a, 53,000 ton chiller plant it was a very large plant. Served served a lot of the uh, casinos on the boardwalk. Donald Trump, the Trump the Trump Empire was probably one of our biggest customers.
0: Oh wow, he controversial had already topic laughed. there. Yeah, wow.
1: Yeah, he had already left, but the okay. name was still there.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I never met him. All
0: right. so. so I guess I'm I'm curious. Uh, just the last thing on, on Pepco, uh, as you reflect back on your time there and, and rising through the company, running the group. What was like one of the one or two key takeaways you reflect back on that time? Like, wow, this, this is what I really learned from running this, this major business unit.
1: Well, I would say the biggest thing I learned was the difference between being a boss and being a leader. Mm. When I first took over, I was a boss and I used to, you know, tell people what to do um and by the time i left you know i was i was present for 12 years and by the time i left i think i had changed into a leader where i would you know empower people to do what they do best and really try to view my role as a supportive role for making them successful because if they are successful um, I was going to be successful and the company was going to be successful. Uh, another way I grew between being a boss and being a leader was at some point during that, for a three year period, I was a, a scout master of a pretty large scout, Boy Scout troop in, uh, in uh, Northern Virginia. And, you know, and that's what scouting is all about is about teaching leadership. And I, I think that really helped me change the way I worked with people, being a, a scoutmaster, and and taking what I learned there and and applying it to to the business, and you know and and having a business where you um, you're trying to empower people from the ground up also means that um, having a diverse business uh, is good because it gives you lots of different points of view and 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 ways of looking at things and uh and you know i think at the end the people who worked at pepco really liked working there found it a a real good experience, real good life experience for them as it was for me um you know i had decided to move on because the the corporation you know it was owned by the utility in washington dc had become real risk adverse, and they had st- started asking us to not do projects and i i just it, it just became a little frustrating for me
0: i'm glad you you mentioned that because i think a lot of people use the words boss manager and leader synonymously which they're not right there's there's a big difference between being a leader and a, and a boss or a manager so yes, uh, i think that's uh really appreciate that uh, that insight there and uh, i'm sure we could spend you know a couple more hours talking about Leadership, right? Really uh, interesting topic to uh, to take a deep dive into. But I guess let's let's transition, David. Let's let's just talk about the industry for a second, right? You've been in it for a long time. Uh, I know you're you're very involved in NASCO, an organization that we're involved with as well. And if anyone out there doesn't know, NASCO is the National Association of Energy Services Companies. So you know, let's just give an assessment of you know what are you seeing right now in, in the market as it pertains to energy performance contracting and energy services as a whole. And and then if you could maybe touch on like where you see the industry heading. I know that's two questions in one, but I'll just follow it back to you. Yeah.
1: Well, we had originally scheduled this interview for like two days after election day. And
0: yeah, yeah, we had to. Yeah. And
1: I told you I wasn't available. Well, really, I wanted to let I wanted to find out who won the election first before I had this interview. All right. um, and, and, you know, I, I think it has a real big, going to have a real in, big impact in our business. But first off, you know, there are a couple of different drivers in our business. There's obviously energy prices, there's technology, and um, there's something that people don't talk about a lot as a driver for our industry historically, which is accounting and accounting treatment. And uh so when you think about those three things, um uh, and, and and the and the fourth one, which hasn't been as much of driver as one would think, would would be environmental impact, global warming. So um energy prices are historically low, and they're gonna continue to be historically low. So that's an that in some ways is a negative driver of our business, right? So There's that, Um, and then there's um, technology. Well, there's you know that's been the biggest driver of our business over the last few years. Um, LED lights, right? That that that's been driving the business, and that's going to continue driving the business. Um, Some other technologies that I think are going to step up and drive business more, or continue to drive the business is smart building. Um, There's lots of different developments and software systems out there that, you know, start self-learning buildings and controlling buildings. On the other hand, I think people are going to start working less in buildings, and that's going to, that can also be a negative driver going forward, or a positive driver. We'll have to see how that all shakes out after COVID. Um, but COVID itself will be a, a driver because, um, as one of my clients said, who's uh, an engineering company, an HVAC engineering company, COVID is going to Changed the way we design buildings more than anything else in his career, and he's a couple of years older than me, so that's going to be a something that we're going to have to deal with. But from a, another driver is you know is the environment and also the federal government, and with the administration changing, I think we're going to see a gear up of of infrastructure, and I'm pretty sure where our industry is going to be a big part of of, of of that infrastructure. And I think we're going to see, um, the federal government business, uh, you know, once again, increase like it did. year You know, under uh, the Obama administration. And I also think that's going to uh, move over into the, the mush markets and we're going to have some, uh, stimulus money coming there too. And that's all going to help our industry. Cause right now our industry is, is, is tightening up somewhat. Um, Over the last two, three years, Um, we had a lot of construction work that kind of came over from the Obama administration. But during the last four years, there haven't been as many new projects going on. And I also think um, there's going to be probably uh, more focus on the environment. You know, Janet Yellen, when she was in charge of the Fed, she was one of the first people of that stature to come out and talk about how how environmental changes is, is, is a big risk to the economy. And, and, and as Treasury Secretary, I think she's going to be able to sort of see that whole picture. So the only thing I really left out of that is, is accounting practices. I'm not going to go into detail about accounting practices. But the reason we have third-party financing today, which is sort of the backbone of our industry, is because of accounting practices. Simple as that. And you know, I think for a long time people have been asking me about energy as a service. And several years ago, when I'd have private equity companies calling me and talking to me about the industry, I would say it's you know it's just another name for the same thing. But I don't think it is. I think um, you're going to see much more of the ESCO industry starting to follow their their projects from, you know, start, which is, you know, construction, through years of maintenance. Very similar to what we actually did on that first um, energy savings performance contract we did at Pepco for for the U.S. Army. You know, and it I think it's going to change the way the ESCO industry looks at things. We've been a very much a construction-oriented business, and I think, you know, we're going to become much more of an operations and maintenance and service-oriented business. You know, if you look at the life cycle of a classroom, much more money is spent on powering that classroom and lighting that classroom and maintaining that classroom than it took to construct it. And we have always said on the ESCO industry that we take the long view of things, but the reality is, we made most of our revenues through construction because we were doing percentage completion accounting, and um, that's the way we looked at our business, but now that's changing, and the energy-as-a-service concept is is going to be a vehicle to make that happen even more yeah. completely than it is.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, that overview and that insight, especially the energy-as-a-service piece. I mean, that's something that we're seeing and hearing more and more just on our side of the desk. and. You know, by the time this episode airs, we'll have already aired another episode with somebody who specializes in that energy services uh, or energy as a service model that uh, you know, we're really excited about. So definitely agree with you on that. So David, what I wanted to do here was just transition to the last part of the show. These are the same four questions that I ask to every guest who comes on. And I wanted to start off here and ask you, what are your daily non-negotiables?
1: Well, my biggest non-negotiable is e- is daily exercise. I work go. out for about an hour... Six days a week, and I do a little cardio, a little weights, stretching. The older I get, more stretching, less weights. But you know that if I don't, you know, even on my one day off, sometimes it's two. But if I don't exercise, I don't feel like I think clearly. Um, so that's that's big important. And the other one is also a health thing, which is you know, seven to eight hours of sleep a night. If, if you know. If, I used to be able to go on four and a half, five hours. But, you know, if I don't get six or seven hours now, I don't feel real good during the day. So um, those are my two non-negotiables.
0: You know, I'm going to say something controversial here, but uh, that, I think, is the best COVID prevention program. Strengthen that immune system, diet, exercise, get some good sleep, and you'll be way ahead of fighting off this uh, this virus. Absolutely.
1: Also, you know... Living out in the middle of nowhere where I'm living right now is also good for COVID prevention. I can go days without having to have to put on a mask and seeing anyone if I don't have to go to the grocery store.
0: There you go. I'm not a doctor. I'm not making any recommendations. Just my personal opinion on that one. Next up here, what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self?
1: Well, professionally, we touched on this already. When I was at Pepco, I was really involved operationally, and I wasn't as strategic thinker as I probably should or could have been. So um, that's my advice to my 22-year old self is think more, act less, uh, think more, talk less. But, you know, so I've used that, you know, that increase in strategic thinking to try to work with my, my clients and my customers to help them think that way. Because I find that people who operate companies it, it's really easy for them to get sucked into day to day operations as opposed to thinking strategically, and then personally spend more time keeping in contact with people um, when I was leaving Pepco, I had been there seventeen years and I had some really deep, deep friendships, and I promised myself i would I would keep that going and to the for the most part i have uh, covid's been a little bit challenging and the other thing i come from a very small family and um i've incorporated into my travel whenever i'm in a city where i have a cousin i try to meet with my cousin even if i wasn't really that close with them just to keep that that relationship going and you know those things have come back to me and you know in ways that i wasn't uh, in ways that surprised me, and, and 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 was very
0: fulfilling. Yeah, you can never underestimate the value of uh, solid relationships in your life, David. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Helping,
1: um, helping my clients be successful, being supportive to my family, helping the environment, and helping the ESCO industry. That's what I do now. Is I, I I'm I'm in a phase where I I want to help others.
0: Oh, that's excellent. And last question here, what do you want your lasting legacy to be?
1: I have five items. I have, you know because you helped me think through this a little bit by uh, sending me these questions. Well, my like legacy, I want to be helpful, have a helpful and positive impact on my clients' businesses. I want to be remembered as a nice guy, a good husband, and uh, somebody who raised two smart, productive, and caring sons. And probably be, you know, maybe a decent cook, because I love to cook.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here. So, David, thanks a lot for the time. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks. I, right. I enjoyed it. All right.
0: All right. There you have it. Episode 31 with David Weiss. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing that I would ask here is if you have any ideas for future guests from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.